How's everybody doing? <laughs> I love asking that question because it's always that, it's, especially after a slow song. It's like you just got this nice, calm thing, and it's like, how's everybody doing? Everybody's like, huh. <laughs> Man, it's weird. This is really high. <laughs> this, is, this is different. Um, I got to be honest, I get excited every time I get to come speak to you guys because there's just something to teach people you love. And I love this church. Uh, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and I could not believe we've been around 12 years. Can you believe that? Almost. I mean, if we're going to be specific, like 11 years and 10 months or something. 12 years is what I'm going with. Um, it has just been an awesome time just seeing all the growth in the church and seeing so many new faces over the years and so many that have been here the whole time um, for the ride, and it's just been amazing. And uh, <clears throat> I don't take for granted any chance I get to be up here with you guys, so I'm excited to be here today. Uh, let's give it up for the band, getting up here and, and rehearsing, getting everything done and doing such a great job. Um, it's so cool being the former worship minister and being able to be the guy that says that, you know? That's kind of awesome. Um, it's been awesome just to, to be here today. There's always a good spirit when you come to Catalyst, right? You come in here and it doesn't feel like you're at some old stuffy church. It just feels like there's life here. And that's one of the most amazing things about this place. If you want to follow along today with the sermon, you can use your bulletin. There's an outline on the back that you can use. Uh, you can also get on the Bible app. You just have to click in the bottom hand corner, right-hand corner on, uh, I think it's a More tab. That'll take you to Events. And click on Events, and you'll see Catalyst in there. Uh, if you're listening online, uh, you can download the bulletin actually on our website under the main thing menu. Um, currently, though, right now, we are in a series called Adventure Killers. This whole series is about the great adventure that is our faith and how we live that out. There's power in really living in God's calling for your life. That's because the power of God is the one that's pressing the buttons. It's the power of God that's pulling the strings. He's the one that's in control. But what happens when we hide from his call? What happens when we play it safe? What happens when we try to do good things but not live the great adventure? What happens when we become a cliché? See, that's the title of today's sermon, Cliché Christianity. And you're probably like, what exactly is that? What is, what is cliché Christianity? Why is this even a topic? Um, but before we do, I want to play a little game. I was a youth minister for 11 years. I played a lot of games. Dave probably played a lot of games in his youth ministry time, and Rob is getting ready to end his youth ministry game time, wherever he disappeared to. He's with a baby somewhere, I'm pretty sure. But uh, we're going to play a little game. I'm going to start the cliche, and I want you to end it for me, okay? Real simple. You guys will probably know every one of these. So I'm just going to start. I'm going to read most of it, and then I want you guys to help me finish it. The first one, when life gives you lemons, make... Sticks and stones may break my bones. Exactly. People in glass houses shouldn't. The early bird catches. Beauty is in. Yes, I love that one because that really works for me. Um, when, when the going gets tough, and this is for the guys. Happy wife. That's right. <clears throat> Ladies, if you knew how often we use that one. Um, 
Here's the thing. All of these are used so much that I only had to read a few words of it and you knew the end. These are, these are statements that are used all the time, and mostly they get used to make someone feel better about themselves without really having to do anything to make them feel better about themselves. Am I right? Basically, uh, if someone feels ugly, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. If someone is, uh, if you and your wife are arguing over something, happy wife, happy life. Uh, when you see someone down on their luck, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. See, these cliches have been used so much. They've been used so much that they've gotten to the point where they really mean nothing anymore. Other than it's some veiled way to say, I have no idea how to help you right now, so I've got this really cool saying. Am I right? That's what cliches have become. They're not really, there's really no power in them. And if you like those statements, Christianity, we have our own cliches too. I'm going to go ahead and read these to you. You've probably heard them before. Uh, God will never give you more than you can handle. God works in mysterious ways. When God closes one door, he opens another or a window. Everything happens for a reason. Love the sinner, hate the sin. And my all-time favorite, what would Jesus do? See, again, they're good meaning. There's good meaning at the heart of each of these, but you can't build a theology off of them. And most of those have been used so much that they ring as empty as the phrase, I'll pray about that. I see some smiles because we all know that one. It's unfortunate that we allow words that can have meaning eventually not have meaning. And the scary thing is that can happen to our lives. We start with good intentions, we start with depth, we start with, with meaning, but as we go along, um, something happens, and we just become a cliche. So what happens when our lives are like some big cliche? What if our faith is lived out like one? Uh, we do these good things, but they lack power. We look great on the outside, but our actions lack depth or commitment. Everything is done to put out this vision that we have it all together. We listen to Christian radio. We send our kids to Christian school. We read Christian books. We go to a community group. We do devotions only from the official Bible app. That's important. None of these things are wrong or bad, okay? None, and I, and there's nothing downing on any of this stuff. But if that's what defines our faith, we're missing something. That's why our main thing today is real adventure can't happen when the power of God isn't present. There's a reason why our children walk away from the faith when they leave the home. Many times it's simply because they've never seen what a powerful faith in Christ really looks like. Because they've only seen surface-level Christianity. Scripture is studied so you can answer questions in a group time and not look silly. Prayer is something that you only really do at dinner time and before you go to bed. And the only real difference between your actions and the actions of the world are that you check off some of these boxes and you attend weekly church. That's where the danger comes in, and that's where this whole idea of cliche Christianity comes in. I remember Dave asking me to do this sermon. I looked at him and go, what the heck am I talking about? And we started talking, and it just became so apparent that it's so easy for Christians to get off the rails quickly because we start checking the list. We start doing the things because we think the things 
are what bring us close to God, but it's not the things that bring us close to God, it's here. And when I was working out what I wanted to talk about today, I really had to pare this down to the root of not just what we are, but who we are. What is it that defines our faith? What are the basics that define who we are in Christ and creates a basis for our identity in him? So for me, it came down to three things. It's our actions, our study, and our prayer. Are we living our lives for Christ? Are we committed to seeking his wisdom? And are we in constant communication with God? I really believe that if these three things are where they need to be, we live our lives in the power of God through the Holy Spirit at work within us. The first thing I want to say today is that I believe that actions out of habit contain no power. Now, am I saying we shouldn't have good habits? No, that is not what I'm saying. But there is something to be said for things being intentional. Married people, married people, phrases like, I love you, and you look great, should be coming out of your mouth towards your spouse. Bud, you got to work on that, buddy. Um, <laughs> um, those, those phrases should be coming out of our mouths all the time. They really should. We should be looking at our spouse and saying, I love you. But how many times have you said it and you just said it because that's what you say when you leave the house? How many times when you're hanging up the phone, you say, I love you, and then you hang up, but you just said it because that's kind of like saying goodbye? Is there anything behind it? Do you mean it when you say it, or is it just that phrase? In the book of Isaiah, God has had enough of his people's empty worship and he basically just kind of lays into them. So be prepared, be prepared for this because God's not very nice right here. Uh, this is in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 through 15. <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling on my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Ouch. That's harsh. But God's people have gotten to a point where their worship was empty, their prayers meaningless, where they were just going through the motions of doing these things but not really living it in their lives or having it in their hearts. And so God said, will you just quit lying to me? Will you just quit acting like you're something you're not? Maybe simply checking the boxes of our churchiness while living a life that isn't in step with God is a bigger deal than we thought it is. The truth is, and I want you to write this down, it'll be up here on the screen, God cares less about what you do and more about why you do it. God cares less about what you do and more about why you do it. Does that mean that God wants you to murder people as long as you love him? No, that's not what that means. 
What that does mean is if you're going to go to church and you're going to sing these praises to God and then go home over the week and live the exact opposite life, he would rather you don't do the worship. If you're going to go to God in prayer and say, God, I love you, I give you everything, but the reality is you don't. You're just saying the words because you're trying to get in your quota for the week. That's not what he wants. Is what you're doing about God and his desires, is it about you and how you look? Do you long to serve God with everything, or is this just a new brand that you're trying to create for yourself? God wants obedience. He doesn't want flash. He doesn't want somebody who lives a completely ungodly life to come in here on Sundays and raise their hands and, and go crazy and get all emotional when the truth is they're just doing it because they want other people to think they are spiritual. He doesn't want us to put on a show. He just wants authenticity. He wants our hearts to be where they need to be. So if actions out of habit contain no power, then I'm going to say actions out of intentionality are powerful. When we live our life in such a way that we have intentionality in what we do, then God steps in for us and he takes our actions even further. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, we read, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. And this may sound like the plot to a sci-fi movie, but it's not. When we, folks, we are in a daily battle for the souls of this planet. This is where God put us, and God wants to use his power in us, and it takes action. We can't just sit on the sidelines. We're called to action. It's great that you listen to Christian radio, but if all you ever do is sing the words, but never do what they say... You're merely a fan of God's kingdom and not in the battle. If you attend church weekly, hear a great message, but you don't live it during the week, you're basically watching a compelling show every Sunday, and you're not participating in it. As this is not what God wants. He wants us living in his power. As many of you know, we're going on a lot of mission trips this year which gets me excited. As a former youth minister, mission trips were a big deal of what I did. And I know for Dave, it was a big part of what he did in youth ministry. But if you really want to get in the game, get out on one of those trips. Let God use you right out there in the battlefield. There are local ministries here in Nicholasville like Revive Lifehouse and the Jesmond County Homeless Coalition. You can be teaching in one of our children's ministry classes. You could lead a community group. You could even start your own not-for-profit like other people in our church have. The only thing holding you back from getting in the game or getting in the battle is you. And I would also say that if action is so important, then getting into Scripture is very important too. And that's why I would say that reading Scripture simply for knowledge is powerless. In my first full-time youth ministry interview, I'm talking about youth ministry a lot today, Dave. I don't normally do that. I'm talking about youth ministry a lot, but in my first full-time youth ministry interview, I was asked the question, what do you think of Bible Bowl? 
How many people in this room actually have any clue what that is? Wow, that's more than I anticipated. <coughs> For all of you people who don't know what the almighty game of Bible Bowl is, um, let me explain Bible Bowl to you. It was created as a way for students to memorize Scripture and be able to easily and effectively share the Word of God, which sounds great. However, it was done through a competition where one church's team would compete against another. Over time, it got more and more competitive. There were local, regional, and national tournaments Students would spend hours memorizing full chapters of the Bible with the intention of winning a game. I remember being at the national tournament being held in Louisville, Indiana. I mean, Kentucky. Um, <laughs> I watched a young man come tearing out of a room, cursing up a storm and almost run over an old lady because he challenged a call and he got denied. Cussing up a storm. When studying God's word becomes about competition or looking smart in front of other people in your community group or Bible study, or you're just a knowledge junkie and, and you just want to know more, the scriptures get stripped of its power and it's reduced to basically ink on a page. And that's not what God's word is meant to be. So many of us have our favorite scripture. Now, is that something you do because that verse has transformed you? Or do you just feel like you need to have a favorite scripture? Do we open up the Bible to realize that we are reading words directly from the lips of the creator of the universe? Do you realize God's words are so powerful, he created everything we know by talking. He did not have a magic wand. He didn't do some incantation. He didn't wave his arms. He literally talked and it happened. If you don't believe that there's power in the word of God, look what he can do with mere words. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. Does that sound like trivia? That doesn't sound like trivia to me. Should something like this be reduced to, to simple memorization? Or should this be devoured by the believer? See, I believe that reading the Scripture is to see the heart of God. Reading Scripture to see the heart of God is powerful. When we get into Scripture and we realize that these are God's words, when we realize the magnitude of what that is, we begin to need the Word of God. It becomes our sustenance for the day. We feel empty when we don't partake in it, and we can't exist without it. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you want to tap into the power of God, you have to tap into the word of God. When God's people can correctly use and recite his word, then we're ready to go into battle. When someone needs encouragement, we can use God's word to encourage. 
When someone needs instruction, we can instruct them through his word. And when someone needs correction, we can correct them in grace through the word of God. See, through God's word, we see God's heart. And when we understand the heart of God, we better understand our role in the kingdom. And while action and study is important, I believe communication with God is even more important. So this brings me to something that I genuinely believe that Satan likes for us to do. I think Satan, he, he's a trickster. He likes to get us thinking we're doing good and right things, only to trick us into doing something that is the complete opposite. He doesn't want us to pray, but if we do, he wants it to be fairly meaningless. He would rather we just recite words than have any power or passion behind it. That's why I believe that prayer out of a method is powerless. The very definition of method is orderliness or thought or behavior, orderliness of thought or behavior, systematic planning of action. Now, at first glance, this doesn't seem to be such a bad thing, does it? I mean, we should come to God with an idea of what we're going to say, but I would also argue that we should come to God when we don't know what to say. If we're completely honest, if we're just being completely honest right now, most of us here pray when we eat our meals, most of the time. And we might pray before bed, and we might pray when we get called on it in a church activity. We even know the right way to say it. We know all the church words. I know I've said it before, but why is it that in everyday speech we never talk about our lunch as our daily nourishment? But when we pray, we always say, please help this to nourish our bodies. How many of you actually say nourish like on a daily basis outside of your food prayers? But it's like a staple. Nobody prays for the food without saying that word. Is it because the Bible says somewhere we have to say nourishment? Or are these, have we created these unwritten laws and rules about how we pray and how we talk to God and how we're supposed to communicate? I think prayer sometimes just becomes a cliche for a lot of us. How many of you, don't raise your hands, please don't raise your hands. How many of you, have seen somebody post something online about trouble they're going through, a loss in the family, and you put, I'll be praying for you, but you never said a single prayer. I would say probably at least 99% of us have, myself included. And I had to catch myself on that. Dave and I actually talked about this several years ago, that instead of just saying, I'll pray for that, it was, I'm going to drop everything right now, I'm going to pray right now. And that's what we had to start doing because we were both, we both fell for the same thing of, well, I'll be praying for you. My family's praying for you. And then we weren't. There was nothing there. And the term prayer itself suddenly becomes a cliche. It suddenly becomes just something you say to give comfort to somebody. But when things hit the fan, when the bills come due and and, and when, when loved ones come down with cancer, when a friendship falls apart, do we tend to be more angry with God 
than bringing that hurt to him as a father who wants to protect his child. Even more so when life is good. We get that promotion. Our child wins their state competition. For you single people, you finally meet the one. Are we willing to share that with God? Are we taking these joyous moments to God first and thanking him for his blessings? See, prayer can't be reduced to something we only do at certain times. It should be an ongoing conversation with our creator. In the book of James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, it says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. If anyone among you is sick, let them call the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Does this sound like prayer should be something we rarely do in our day? Is this something that we only do before meals? Is, I, I mean, guys, I, I'm going to say something, too, about the praying before meals thing. <coughs> and I apologize for all the coughing. It's like it went from like 13 degrees yesterday and it's supposed to be like 50 today or something. So, yeah, there's that whole thing. But I want to say this. I just want to say this up front. There is no place in the Bible that commands you pray before a meal. Did you know that? There's no place in the Bible that says you better pray before the meal or your food will rot in your stomach. But I can promise you there are people that look sideways at people that eat a meal without praying for it. But some of those same people that get mad about that, they aren't praying thank you to God when things are going well. We aren't praying when things are hard. We're just focusing on making sure we pray when people see it. That's not what prayer is about. It's not meant to be just at times. I mean, seriously, when I growing up, I remember getting yelled at when I didn't pray before my meals by my parents. Now, is that saying you shouldn't pray before your meals? No. But we create these rules and these motives and these, these methods that we have to follow all the time. And if we pay attention to what we just read in James, it seems like we should be praying on almost every occasion. If things are good, you pray. If things are bad, you pray. And if, if you need forgiveness, you pray. And that we should be praying for each other. And while prayer out of method is powerless, prayer out of a desire to connect with God is powerful. In the book of Ephesians, Paul is talking about the full armor of God. He's basically showing us what a soldier looks like and how a soldier goes to battle. How does he end his narrative? Is he fighting off evil spirits? Is it insulting people from the other side of the political spectrum? Is it telling other denominations they're getting it wrong? No. He says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains and pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Band can go ahead and come on up right now. A true warrior for the gospel spends significant time on their knees. The most powerful forces of Christ aren't the loudest people 
in the room. But the ones that spend the most time in communication with God. It's the person who reads scripture to see his heart. It's the person who lives out their faith with intention. It's the person who, even when they don't feel like it, they're still obedient. Guys, when I don't want to serve, I still need to serve. And when I don't want to study, I still need to study. And when I don't want to pray, I still need to pray. Because God is a God of power, and that power is available to us when we intentionally seek out His will, His heart, and His presence. Today, if you are living an intentional, God-seeking life, are you sitting in the audience watching a show? Or are you actively participating in God's call? Are you pouring yourself into Scripture? Or are you simply reading a nice book with a bunch of good stuff in it? Do you pray in such a way to connect with God? Or is it just something that you do? Is the power of God apparent in your everyday life? Ephesians 3, 14-21 says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how deep and how high is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Imagine what catalyst would look like with a congregation of people that are actively living in the power of God. Imagine what we could do in Nicholasville. Imagine what we could do in central Kentucky. Imagine what we could do here, near, and far if we really tap into God's power and not settle for a life of comfort and ease. What if the phrase, what would Jesus do, quit being a nice bracelet or a t-shirt and actually had some power behind it? It's time we stop living our lives as one big cliche and start living the adventure because real adventure can happen when the power of God is not present. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we thank